Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. This is a program on Carmelite spirituality that we have the great pleasure of engaging in uh, a conversation about each week. And I welcome into the studio, as I do each week, Francis Harry, my my faithful and loyal uh, co-host. How are you, Francis? <laughs> uh, ditto, Mark. <laughs> Actually, you. Francis might well say that I'm her occasionally faithful and uh, <laughs> present co-host. Uh, she, uh, of course, uh, held down the fort last week while I was away and uh, had a wonderful guest, wonderful conversation with Marika, Francis. I listened right. in. I thought yes. it was great. Um, but this week, we're going to take a somewhat different tact. Francis reminded me that we have done a couple of programs on, let's call it the great books or the books that help enhance our spiritual journey. These are selections that Francis and I, uh, to be fair, have read and have been particularly influenced by, whether uh, over the course of our long uh, spiritual journey or perhaps more recently. Uh, the texts that we're going to share with you include uh, selections from both those lists. But before we do that, let us uh, put ourselves before the Lord and enter into prayer. And I'm going to ask Frances if she would lead us in that, please. Yes, I will. And I've picked both the opening prayer for today um, and the closing prayer from St. Thomas Aquinas, who is the patron of scholars. Um, and these are prayers before study. So um, not just study to get knowledge, but, of course, study to get the heart of what is in the book uh, what the Lord is presenting to you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O Mary, mother of fair love, of fear, of knowledge, and of holy hope, by whose loving care and intercession many, otherwise poor in intellect, have wonderfully advanced in knowledge and in holiness, thee do I choose as the guide and patroness of my studies. And I humbly implore, through the deep tenderness of thy maternal love, and especially through that eternal wisdom who deigned to take from thee our flesh, and who gifted thee beyond all the saints with heavenly light, that thou wouldst obtain for me by thy intercession the grace of the Holy Spirit, that I may be able to grasp with strong intellect, retain in memory, Proclaim by word and deed, and teach others all things which bring honor to thee and to thy Son, and which for me and for others are solitary for eternal life. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Francis. Um, as I said, we're going to go over what um, I use the term somewhat euphemistically, the great books, referencing a, a program of study that you can follow. One that I advocate, by the way, if you find a great books program um, from a Catholic institution, strongly encourage you to look into that. Uh, there is a great deal of, uh, of a very powerful and meaningful literature in many of those great books programs that are uh, overseen by um, Catholic institutions. Ignatius Press, in fact, I think has one, if I'm not mistaken. They have a great books program. Uh, but today we're going to have a conversation about what Francis and I have identified as some of the great books. And I think it'd be fair, Francis, you can correct me if I'm wrong, to characterize our definition of greatness here is those things which advance our spiritual life, right? Right. right. Um, and that's most important to us. <clears throat> the books will uh, fall in a number of different categories, and I'll just identify some. Um, we may have selected one for intellectual purposes, if there's a particular topic that's of 
um, uh, more of an intellectual bent, something we need to understand, doctrine of the church, uh, a teaching on prayer that has an academic uh, aspect to it. We may have selected a book for that purpose, and in fact we have in some cases. Um, there are those that I would say are purely devotional, um, ones that we might ourselves use in prayer, in preparation for prayer. Teresa, of course, was... Uh, Teresa Bavilo was a big advocate of the use of books in preparation for prayer uh, for herself. And so we have a couple of selections in that category. Um, I think it'd be fair to say some of these are motivational. Uh, they, they present a, a motivation to engender a desire for an increased prayer life. Uh, those would be, for my um, stack anyway, Francis, those that are written about saints uh, who tend to motivate me as I read their lives. Uh, to get deeper into my own prayer life. And then maybe a last category might be what I'd call consolation. Um, uh, some texts are necessary because they give us uh, comfort and peace in difficult times. I shared with you before we came on uh, that I made uh, a recommendation for one of the books I'm going to talk about today uh, to a friend whose mother is uh, soon to pass away, in fact, likely in the next few days. And I got great <clears throat> peace myself in reading this book um, and so I'm hopeful that it would be beneficial to her as well as to our to our listeners. So shall we begin? <clears throat> yeah, well, I, let, know, well, let's take one from your stack. First. Okay. Well, you know this is hard because we, you know, you and I are avid readers, and we have so many favorite books um, that it's hard to narrow them down. Um, we have done programs in 2011 and 2013, so you can check the archives on Radio Maria. And you will find those programs. And so I was trying not to repeat some of those. Um, but if I do, well, I couldn't help it, right? <laughs> but anyway, this first one that I picked is called My Ideal, Jesus, Son of Mary. And it's by Father Emil Newbert, N-E-U-B-E-R-T, from the Society of Mary. It's a small book. We, we should just make a note. You're going to put all of this on our website and on our Facebook account so for people our, don't necessarily, resources. yeah, they don't need to be furiously writing all this down. Frances, as she so diligently does, um, will post all these resources on our website so you can go there and see them and the authors will be there, the titles and the publishers and so right. forth. So. And so you can find that at CarmeliteConversations.com or on the Facebook Carmelite Conversations or um, the Radio Maria Archive. So <clears throat> this book, My Ideal by Father Newbert, um, it's small and it's, so it's easy to carry in my purse and take with me, you know, for the moments in prayer that I need a little starter. And it's written in the form of uh, provocative instructions from Jesus and Mary. And so it, it helps lay forth the path of perfect imitation of Christ through the perfect imitation of Mary, his mother. And it's based on the teachings of the saintly founder, Father Shamanad. And it just happens when where we record from our studio is here at uh, Mount St. John Bergamo in Dayton. And that is from the Society of Mary. And Father Shamanon is, um, you know, loved dearly here. And so when I saw this book, it reminded me sort of like The Imitation of Christ, but it's more contemporary in feel. And it's uh, smaller, but it's very potent. And I've always found that when I open this, no matter where it is, you know, you can open it up and it's just like, you know, three or four pages um, per section. 
And I've always found that each one of those have always uh, um, inspired me or motivated me in some way. So I, I highly recommend. And uh, the cover I love because it's got the two sacred hearts joined together um, with a crown around it. And my name in, in Carmel is of the sacred heart. So, um, so let welcome. me just ask you this question. Would you be using this in preparation for prayer, uh, perhaps uh, as part of your prayer experience, or do you just sort of read it? You indicated a moment ago you might read it, you know, driving along in the car and you get a break or something and you might pick it up. All of the above. Okay. All of the above. But certainly it it is good for prayer. Like for one, for an example, one of them's called, one little chapter is called My Aim, to transform you into Jesus. Learn to think the thoughts of Jesus, my mission in yours, the redeeming cross, to imitate, imitate me, love my mother. So there are many, uh, but it's small. So it's only about 100 and, well, it looks like 130 pages. Um, but I think it's so potent that I, I do like to have this on hand. And maybe, uh, especially when I go to adoration, uh, to start off my period of adoration, um, I, I find that to be very good because it's so personable. Great. Well, my first one is actually an encyclical. Uh, I don't normally advocate uh, encyclicals as part of a sort of a collection of reading, uh, though I strongly advocate people read the encyclicals, but they don't usually make it to my short list. And this one in particular uh, from St. John Paul II is entitled On Christian On the Christian Meaning of Human Suffering. But the reason I'm advocating this one is it's actually an anniversary edition of his encyclical, and it is featured with commentary from uh, Father Miles Sheehan. Now, Father Miles is himself both a priest and a medical doctor. And what I found very powerful in reading this, and in fact, rereading uh, St. John Paul II's encyclical, but in addition, in this particular publication, which is by uh, Pauline uh, Books and Media, uh, was the individual reflections that Father Sheehan adds at the end of each of the sections of the original encyclical. And he simply titles them Ponder. Uh, and I'll just give you an example of one. These are uh, Father Sheehan's words. In this section, uh, John Paul II moves from a more general consideration of suffering to an examination of the human reaction to suffering. This includes the human need to question why suffering exists, how God could permit such an evil. Although other animals can suffer pain, only humans have a deep question about the meaning of suffering and why there is evil in the world. Father Sheehan goes on, and that's a bit of a tempter because uh, what I will share with you is he goes on to provide some uh, context for what you would have already read in uh, St. John Paul II's uh, actual encyclical, and he elaborates on that a little bit. This is certainly a compelling issue, the issue of human suffering. In addition, at the end of the ponder section, Father Sheen has added a prayer section. So he's encouraging us and providing us a little bit of material uh, for prayer. In some cases, he might uh, cite an historical event, or he might recommend a psalm, uh, or he might draw from uh, one of the writings of the Church Fathers, but he does a wonderful job of sort of focusing the prayer uh, following the, the pondering. And then finally, he gives us an act, something to do, something deliberate that we can actually act on as we uh, try to draw the, the, the most fruit out of the encyclical 
uh, that John Paul II, St. John Paul II, had written now a number of years ago. And again, the title is On the Christian Meaning of Human Suffering. This is the anniversary edition, and make sure it has commentary by Father Miles Sheehan. Wonderful. All right. Um, this next author is Father Jacques Philippe. That's P-H-I-L-I-P-P-E, Father Jacques Philippe. And I love everything he writes. I agree. <laughs> he's <laughs> he, terrific. He's got several books, and they usually are small in size, so it's easy to carry around. You know, that's wonderful because, you know, I have a lot of pauses in my day in different places, and so it's nice to have a, a book to pick up. And this one um, that I picked is called Searching for and Maintaining Peace. It's a small treatise on peace of heart. And, and of course, it was hard to pick which one of his books that I liked and that I wanted to introduce because he's, he's written on prayer, on the Holy Spirit. So everything Father Jacques Philippe writes, I, I, thus far that I have read, I have very much liked. This one in particular, though, seems to me to be the most jam-packed. Um, he has divided this uh, book into three parts. Interior Peace, The Road to Saintliness. Part two is how to react to that which causes us to lose peace. Let me tell you, there's a lot there. (laughs) And um, the next, the last part is what the saints tell us. And um, I just have found that, you know, I could just pick this up and read just maybe two paragraphs and really have much to ponder. I've got a lot of highlighting in this one. <laughs> and oh, I've had this for probably three years, and I keep going back to it. And it's not one of those that I've read, like to read cover to cover, although, you know, that's the way he wrote it. But um, I, I also like to go in and just hit on a section and like, okay, like here's one, the fear of suffering. So it kind of addresses the topic that you brought up just a minute ago. And, um, you know, he just talks about, you know, uh, what what that is, and then you know uh, he brings in uh, questions and scripture, and I just um, I thought it's so jam packed. It's not one of those that you want to rush through to read. You want to take your time, and this is a really a pondering book. Yeah, that was actually one of his earlier books. I have that in my desk at home, and I, it never leaves there because when I sit, that's when I read it, and I and I make sure to keep it there. But I agree. I think in terms of the um, the size, very small, uh, relatively few pages, but always every page has an impact on you, and yeah. so it's not one that you would necessarily maybe the first time through cover to cover thereafter um, in, in bite sized pieces, as Francis suggests. Well, my next book is um, actually by the same author of um, a book that we did recently uh, called Contemplative Provocations. This is his most recent one, and I say most recent, literally, it was just released a few weeks ago, by Father Donald Haggerty. It's called The Contemplative Hunger, and I'll just read the from the actual front page of the book. The contemplative life is a mystery of grace. It is a response to a profound attraction to God drawing a soul to seek God in prayer. And then Father um, Haggerty goes on, as he did in his first text, uh, very similar to this one, uh, providing a series of different reflections 
in categories, chapters, if you will. Uh, for example, interior deportment in prayer. How do we deport ourselves? How do we prepare ourselves? The importance of contemplative surrender, contemplative kinship with poverty. These sound somewhat similar to the chapters he would have used in his first book, uh, but I can assure you the writings are different and, and uh, perhaps even a bit deeper. Um, I love Father Haggerty. I waited a long time to buy his first book and then wondered why I waited so long. His second book, as soon as it hit the shelf, I, I purchased <laughs> it because I wasn't going to wait. And I will share that I use this one exclusively as preparation for prayer. I wouldn't think to read this cover to cover. I haven't even to this day. Um, it's in bite-sized pieces. It's very approachable. This language is very uh, sort of everyday. And I just love... Um, the way that he can use a very short selection uh, to prepare you to enter into a 30-minute or 40-minute session of prayer. And so Contemplative Hunger by Father Donald Haggerty is a great um, a text for preparing to enter into prayer. Well, Mark, why don't you just give us a little snippet, um, maybe a paragraph, and and let us just get a sampler here. Well, like so many of um, his writings, and I say that because I've read also some of his articles, he relies very heavily on uh, Carmelites, most especially John and Teresa, for uh, his writings. But uh, I want to try to find one I read the other day about uh, poverty, but let me just pick this one. Contemplative life, even in its concealed quality, may be the most powerful adversary to the tides of secularization undermining religious belief in the modern time. Yet few people, even of a serious religious temperament, realize this fact. The ordinary response in the struggle with unbelief is to battle against it with argumentation, more visible, and witness-making taking up arms in a public forum. We expect, for instance, strong opposition from leaders in the church to the secular disregard for moral values. But it may be that the invisible effect of the great turning to God in a personal life of prayer is the strongest antidote against the secular disparagement of the Christian faith. Yeah, so I thought pray. that was a very powerful uh, statement. Right, and that reminds me of St. John of the Cross, one ounce of pure love and... And that pure prayer can do more than anything else. Charity, right? Yeah. All right. Um, You know, I love St. Therese of Lisieux, the little flower. So I couldn't help but picking something particularly about her. There's so many. And of course, Mark, you know, without saying, I mean, I'm going to say this only because I don't want anybody to be misled. We would have every book of Teresa, Therese, and John here and Elizabeth, I think. Yeah, yeah, you and that's I would, a given. You're yeah, right. that's a given. So, I mean, don't think that we're glossing over our doctors of the church in the Carmelite order or of, of Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity, who is going to be canonized this yes, fall. that's right. Uh, we're excited about that. Um, and we would definitely have all of their writings here, okay? So uh, we have talked about them in the past. So <laughs> this program is, is to add more uh, variety, okay? But well, but, yeah. And, of course, the Bible. That's number one. Oh, you know. But I, ha- I just had to put that in there. But this book is called Under the Torrent of His Love, Therese of Lisieux, A Spiritual Genius. Yes. And it's by Father Marie Eugène of the Child Jesus. He is, his cause for beatification is up, um, or veneration are venerable. I, I don't know which category he's in right now. Um, but anyway, I really like his works. And um, he uh, loved Therese. And so this one is, I've gone to, and I've highlighted this many, many times. Um, 
These were from conferences that he gave. And the first section is called The Lay Motif, The Experience of Love. And he goes in and talks about certain aspects of her life, the, the spirituality of her age, which is important to know the context in which she was living, the, the spiritual context, um, her difficult childhood, the Christmas grace in Carmel and the light of St. John the Cross, God is love, certitude in times of darkness, surrender to love, love and poetry, a new spirituality. That's, that's just one section. Then this next section is as a child before God. And, you know, things like, a transforming gaze, contemplative asceticism, faithfulness to ordinary duties, irradiating charity, uh, holiness for our times. And then the next half of the book is talking about her as doctor of the mystical life and what the ancient treasures looking at Elijah, Teresa of Avila, and John the Cross through her and then what her Theresian message is and what that content is so he so this is um uh educational it gives you insight into therese that maybe you wouldn't put together so it's not necessarily something i would take as a meditation for prayer but it's certainly one that helps me flesh out um, all those hidden things in Therese that I've missed the first and second and third time through. Therese can be surprising. Therese of Lisieux can be surprising because you say she lives so, um, you know, such a short life. Um, she didn't travel much <clears throat> outside of her home. She did get to Rome on a, uh, on that one occasion. We know the story. But um, n- nonetheless, the impact. I mean, this is a woman who is now that doctor of the church. She's considered and referenced in this book as a spiritual genius. And I know I've taught Therese not as much as you have, and I don't have... Uh, the the grasp of her life that you do, Francis, but I certainly am impacted by the fact that this very young girl has had such a remarkable impact. Arguably, I've said this before, the best known saint of the Catholic Church in the 20th century. Um, How is that? And and I think this book suggests anyway a good explanation for why that's true. So, Well, my um, last book before we take a break is actually any book that you can find on now St. Andre de Bosset, uh, who is the um, really the, the catalyst behind the oratory up in Montreal. Uh, he is, uh, was recently canonized just a few years ago, so um, his um, um, story is now being more widely published, and uh, there are a number of biographies that you can find on him. Some of them are out of print, uh, but if you write the oratory or you um, do any searching online uh, under his name, there are some uh, more modern ones as a result of his recent canonization. But St. Andre Bissette, who um, was for the longest time known as simply Brother Andre, uh, was a um, very simple man. He was uh, a French-Canadian who lived a remarkable life of prayer. In fact, this particular book is entitled... All he could do was pray. Hmm. It's a brief biography, but it really goes into the impact that he had on so many people. Literally healed thousands of people. 
I have been to the oratory in Montreal, the the wonderful cathedral there. I've uh, been there a number of times, in fact, in my life. Uh, we've mentioned the pilgrimage uh, that will be uh, there in late September and October. I'll mention it again before uh, we close out today. But um, why I offer this book, or for that matter, any book on uh, St. Andre, is that oftentimes reading the lives of the saints can have as large an impact on our spiritual journey as reading what they wrote. And in fairness, St. Andre did not write very much at all. Um, there are a number of letters and there are a few uh, brief uh, reflections that he's um, uh, are, are attributed to him, but he didn't write a text. He didn't write a book. He was not a particularly uh, broadly educated individual, um, and so he didn't leave us a volume of writings. What he left us was his own life, his testimony, exactly. His and and activity. in his life, if we read it and we understand it, um, it's remarkable um, um, in, in terms of understanding how such a simple man with a simple educational background, as I said, um, and a somewhat difficult life, certainly in the early stages before uh, finding his way to the College of Notre Dame, where uh, he spent uh, the balance of his life after his uh, teenage years uh, in uh, the United States and some other places. Uh, but he um, he lived really a very remarkable life from a spiritual standpoint, but an unremarkable life from a human standpoint. And yet he is today both a saint um, and a um, recognized uh, mystic as well as a healer. And even to this day, people go to the oratory to receive healing. So, Tell me, um, Mark, was, yeah. he, was he a doorkeeper? He was a doorkeeper. Yeah, wasn't at the, Cur- the curie of ours, St. John Vianney, wasn't he a doorkeeper too? Uh, early on, he was a doorkeeper. Of course, his yeah. his uh, mark was his uh, time in the confessional. But yeah. yeah, well, I think of those doorkeepers. You know, what a, a holy spot to be. It's like yeah. the gates of heaven. <laughs> that's right. They, I, I, I believe that's the story that they control to some extent the gates of heaven. And <laughs> and uh, in the case of now Saint Andre, of course, that's a wonderful story. I really encourage you to read anything you can about him. His great devotion was to St. Joseph. And of course, as Carmelites, we know there's a great devotion to St. Joseph. In fact, there's a feast day of his coming up, May 1st, uh, St. Joseph the Worker. Um, And he attributed, St. Andre did, all of the miraculous events surrounding his life, he attributed to the Blessed Mother and to St. Joseph. So I really encourage you to uh, look into the life of St. Andre. I think you'll find great fruit for uh, your spiritual journey. And again, he was just recently canonized here a few years ago. Uh, so somebody who we can uh, understand um, uh, his life and his spiritual journey from that context. Well, we're going to take a break and we'll be back in just a few minutes. A reminder, you're listening to Carmelite Spirituality Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We'll be right back. I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest, without you, I fall apart, you're the one that guides my heart. Lord, I need you, oh, I need you, every hour I need you, my one defense, my righteousness, oh God. 
grace is more Grace is found Is where you are Where you are Lord, I am free Holy death Is Christ in me Welcome back to Carmelite Spirituality Conversations, a program on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Francis and I are doing a conversation today on uh, what we call our Great Books program. You can determine whether they're great books, but they certainly have contributed to our spiritual journey. And as I indicated at the beginning of the program, they fall into a number of different categories. We're trying to identify that as we um, identify each of the individual books and I think what we have left in the remaining 30 minutes are uh, a selection that sort of runs across that gamut of intellectual, consolation, uh, inspiration for prayer, motivation. Um, but I'm going to leave it to Frances to take us to the next book, one that I know she's a strong advocate of. In fact, has encouraged me on a number of occasions to get a copy and to read it. And I'm going to have to take her advice on that. Well, this one I definitely would take to prayer. It is 33 Days to Merciful Love. It's a do-it-yourself retreat in preparation for consecration to divine mercy. And I just recently did this. It's written by Father Michael Gately, who's written um, like 33 Days to Morning Glory and, and several other books, Consoling the Heart of Jesus. This one, though, 30 hour. And um, her picture's on the front, and it's a, a, a wonderful cover. But um, what I love is that he helps in within four weeks and then final five days at the end um, to teach about what is trust, the little way, what the offering to merciful love is, which basically he's dissecting um, parts of 
Therese's um, act of oblation her, to merciful love. And then, you know, he talks about darkness, and then he reviews it all. At the end of each section, he has just a short little prayer that kind of summarizes everything. But what's so wonderful is he he speaks in a very ordinary fashion, and he asks questions, and the, the questions that pop in your own mind, and you're like, yeah, I want to know that. What, what's the deal with that? And so he's very personable in his writing, but he's teaching some great concepts, and um, he loves St. Therese. There's no doubt that she had a mighty impact on him uh, becoming a priest. And this ends with um, making the act of consecration to merciful love, or um, you can do the act of oblation to merciful love that St. Therese did. But he, he wrote a consecration prayer too. So it's basically 33 days, um, and each day is just like um, two or three pages but they're jam-packed, um, and he makes it so that you can do it individually or with a group or with a family. And um, I think he did a, an, an outstanding job of unpacking what it means to be a, a little soul um, united with Therese in offering yourself to merciful love and, of course, through divine mercy. Um, so I highly recommend this as a consecration to divine mercy. Um, get it today. <laughs> and there's a table in the front that, just like with St. Louis de Montfort's um, consecrations, to, you know, a day to start and a day to finish would be on a day that was, um, you know, usually a Marian feast day. So um, really, really good. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to have to take you up on that one, Francis. I uh, I know I have a whole uh, stack of books on my nightstand that I haven't gotten through yet, but uh, perhaps they need to be left over in favor of that one. Well, my next selection is a book entitled The Prayer of the Presence of God. It's by Dom Augustin Guliran, a Carthusian monk, and I hope I haven't butchered his name too badly. Um, he's actually quite well known. Um, and uh, has written a number of books, but this I found to be his best, The Prayer of the Presence of God. Now, in fairness, he uh, passed away some time ago. He uh, lived from 1877 to 1945, Uh, but his writings uh, are are very powerful and constitute uh, really a deep introduction uh, into the life of prayer, both uh, meditative and contemplative prayer, and again, I would encourage the use of this one as preparation for prayer, um, either um, you know, as, um, as an intellectual aspect of uh, preparing yourself to go and enter prayer, or let's say you've entered the chapel and you're looking for material uh, to read just before you begin a meditation. Either way, I think this book works quite well. Um, he does cover a number of subjects, uh, not the least of which are uh, things like persistence in prayer, Uh, the need to avoid lengthy prayers, the disposition of the heart in prayer, uh, how we find peace in prayer, uh, meeting God in silence. He covers uh, topics like goodness, wisdom, truth, mercy, justice, all in the context of prayer. I just wanted to read one quick selection. I happen to have been reading this yesterday when I was deciding on using this book as part of our conversation. And I thought, well, I'll share that with our listening audience. It has to do with guarding our heart 
not just in the moment of prayer, but certainly in this context, this is what he's talking about. He says, creatures and the devil who uses them do not let themselves be ousted without a struggle. He's talking about the devils. The life of prayer calls for continuous battle. It is the most important and longest effort in life dedicated to God. This effort has been given a beautiful name. It is called the guarding of the heart. The human heart, he says, is like a city. It was meant to be a stronghold. Sin surrendered it. Henceforth, it is now an open city, the walls of which have been built up again. The enemy never ceases to do all he can to prevent this. He does this with the accustomed cleverness and strength and stratagem and fury. He puts before us such happy thoughts and occasionally useful ones, pictures to attractive or frightening episodes, and he clothes it all with reasons so impressive that he succeeds all along the line to distract us and entice us away from the divine presence and the act of prayer. Mm. And I thought that was a very good explanation of the book goes on at length about both that topic as well as many others. But he talks about the act of prayer in just uh, such simple terms. It is the city that we need to protect, our soul, our heart. We dwell within it. Of course, we know the Lord dwells within it. And prayer is really a struggle to um, uh, cast out the demons, the demons of negative thoughts, the demons of of discouragement, the demons of distraction, of worldly distraction. And um, uh, Father Gilliland gives us a number of strategies and methods for going about uh, that work. And it's very helpful, I think, as I say, both in preparation before you enter prayer or if you happen to be sitting in a chapel. Uh, this is a good book to have with you to help you enter more deeply into that prayer and deal with some of the challenges that inevitably occur uh, as we engage in that struggle, that battle, which he identifies as prayer. So I really encourage you uh, to look at it. Uh, it's the Sophia Institute Press. And again, all the information on each of these texts will be on our site. All right, I have my next selection, which I've had this book probably 30 years. And over those 30 years, I keep going back. So it's it's got a lot of wear and tear to it. Um, it's called The Mystical City of God. It's by Venerable Mary of Agrita. And I have both the um, abridgment, the one volume, and I also have the four volume. And... I will typically go grab this during like Christmas because I always want to hear the the hidden stories um, preparing for Christmas or you know some feast day. I'll, I'll typically want to go grab and see what does Venerable Mary say and and what happens um, in the abridgment. For example, she takes some of the major sections from all of the four volumes and goes through them, and it's basically talking about the life of Christ. And so uh, Mary of Agrita, you know, describes what she um, sees or experiences um, and it's staying true to Scripture. And then in the end of the chat of each of these little segments is the words of the queen. And so these are the conversations, actually the, the direction of the Blessed Mother regarding the mystery or event that was brought forth. And I really like that it ends with the words of the queen because it typically gives you some resolution, some kind of inspiration to put into practice what you've just read about the life of Christ. I think it is very inspirational. Um, uh, so it, 
and it would be very easy to take to prayer because each section is like um, probably five pages or six, but it, um, they're uh, inspiring and it gives you an insight into the heart of the Blessed Mother. And I, I just love that so much too. So um, one of the books that I go back to many, many times, but it, the bridged one is, is a thick book, very thick, um, over 700 pages um but there is a four volume there is a four volume yeah yeah um but yeah it's a tan books publication but i have gone through this year after year after year um looking at different things in fact sometimes when we do a talk uh, i'll go in and see you know what was said here um, because there's so many wonderful nuggets to uh, lift your heart and to help you keep your eyes focused on Christ. You know, I remember a few years ago, Fran Franchino, a good friend of ours, and of course, of Radio Maria, uh, did a series on that book. She had a gentleman whose name yes. I apologize, I don't remember, but he did a wonderful commentary week after week. On Radio Maria. On Radio yes. Maria, going through um, that very book. And I, um, I'm i sure it's in the archives. I would oh, yeah. encourage people to... Oh, yeah, just look up Fran, to, Fran, Francesca Franchina. On right. Radio Maria. Mm-hmm. That was a, a wonderful series. I would listen to it intently every week. And again, I apologize for not recalling the gentleman's name, but uh, if he's listening, I, I applaud his effort. I think he did a wonderful job of sort of opening up that text uh, for the listeners and, and really uh, shedding a lot of light on the Blessed Mother's life, um, but also in terms of uh, a, a way to draw us into prayer. Of course, she is the model of contemplative right. prayer for all of us. So. And I believe the program at that time was called Francesca and Friends. Yeah, I think so you're right. So you can go right. in and uh, to uh, Radio Maria on your web on your computer, and you'll find that under the uh, programming under the archives. Well, I'm going to take a somewhat different tact with my next one. It's actually uh, not a book per se; it's a manuscript. Some of you may be familiar, some of our listeners may be familiar with this. It's entitled, An Unpublished Manuscript on Purgatory. Of course, I find that ironic, Francis, that I'm sitting here holding it, but it's nonetheless titled, An Unpublished Manuscript on Purgatory. This has been bouncing around for a number of years, and I personally read it many, many years ago when I had begun uh, my spiritual journey, um, and I remember being quite taken by it. Now, at the time, I... Um, you know, quite frankly, dwelt a lot on purgatory, uh, which I found beneficial to my spiritual journey, understanding uh, not just what it might take to avoid that period of purgation in our spiritual journey, um, but what it is that uh, the souls in purgatory endure and how important it is for us uh, here living in um, the world to intercede for them and to pray for them. And this uh, is one of those I would say, no, I wouldn't use it in prayer, uh, but I certainly use it from an intellectual standpoint if you accept the contention. And it is, by the way, the reflections of a a nun who claims to have been visited by uh, somebody uh, from purgatory, and this woman is sharing with her her experiences in purgatory. Now, it does have the nihil obstat and the imprimatur, Uh, just uh, before anybody would raise any concerns about that. Uh, There is nothing in this that it would would be inconsistent with uh, Catholic teaching, Catholic doctrine on the teaching of purgatory. And so uh, I have found it very beneficial, um, as I say, most especially um, in understanding our need to intercede for the souls in purgatory. But also there's a great deal here uh, about our spiritual journey as we're in the process of 
um, you know, uh, making our way to uh, our next destination, whether that be heaven or purgatory. Heaven, and, for and, sure. <laughs> Let's go straight straight to heaven. Therese would Therese help us. would tell us that we could do that, right? <laughs> well, um, then perhaps as much for engendering a desire to intercede for the souls in purgatory. Yes. This this text is very beneficial in that regard. And I just want to read a couple of quick selections, which actually are on the front cover of the manuscript itself. Uh, the first is, What is life compared to that day which will have no ending for the elect, or to that night which will have no dawning for the damned? Um, this book doesn't mince words, as you might well mm-hmm. imagine. The next is, On earth people attach themselves to everything and to everyone except to him who alone ought to have our love and to whom we refuse it. And finally, Jesus in the tabernacle waits for souls to love him, and he finds none. Hardly one soul in a thousand loves him as it should. Love him and make up for the guilty indifference which exists all over the world. And again, this book, as I say, is very encouraging from the perspective of uh, our call to intercede for the souls in purgatory, an understanding of what it is that they endure and what they experience, and also uh, gives very good counsel on how we ought to uh, comport ourselves while we are in our um, transition uh, from uh, this stage into whatever our next stage might be and how uh, we might best prepare ourselves for that day that we will inevitably stand before our Lord uh, and be judged. Okay, let's go on to my last selection. Um, of course, I, I pondered doing Divine Intimacy by Father Gabriel of St. Mary Magdalene because I love that one for a prayer and meditation. Um, but we have mentioned that in other programs, probably in 2011 and in 2013. So I am going to pick a different one. For, um, but it is Carmelite, very much. It's called Drink of the Stream. Prayers of Carmelites. It was compiled by Penny Hickey, who was a secular order of Discalced Carmelite um, member. It's put out by Ignatius Press. And basically what she has done so beautifully is picked so many of the uh, saints, the blesseds, the venerables of Carmel and gone through their works and picked out little sections of their prayers it could it could also be their poetry but oh you know oftentimes you know um when i'm preparing for our radio program and i want to come up with an opening and closing prayer i'll come to this (laughs) this is a great resource for prayer um of course it has all the very famous ones like the the prayer of blessed elizabeth of the trinity um that that she is so well known for on the on the Trinity and has the prayer of Therese, the act of oblation. But I mean, this is a book that is um, um, almost four three hundred fifty pages long, um, and some sections are longer than others because some saints were um, more prolific. Yes, yeah. like Teresa of Avila, um, you know, m- a lot of material from Teresa of Avila. But um, she goes back. She even uh, has prayers from Elijah the prophet and Elisha. And um, here's somebody that I don't know very much at all about, Venerable Seraphina of God. And we've got Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection. Uh, so many of the saints that we have talked about. She's got the three martyred Carmelites of Guadalajara, um, Blessed Titus Bransma, 
Uh, just so many. In fact, you know, there's several saints in here that are like, oh, yeah, we, we need to do a program on them. We haven't done. <laughs> so, but drink of the stream. Definitely a great one to help you in prayer. Well, I think you may have an opportunity to do divine intimacy because we've gotten through our six texts. I'm about to uh, provide mine, but um, I, I wouldn't want us to pass that up. And I think we may have time here before the end of the program. But let me introduce my last one. So the previous one I spoke about was a manuscript uh, on purgatory. This is actually um, going the other direction. And it's, I will confess up front, it's by a, a Protestant author. Uh, by the name of John Burke, and it's simply called Imagine Heaven. Now, for anybody who may be familiar with it, or even those who aren't, it came out just recently. It's only been out uh, a short time now, less than a year, in fact. Uh, I bought it soon after it came out uh, because I'd heard about it and read about it and was quite taken uh, by the premise of the book. And let me provide the backdrop. Uh, What John Burke did is went back through hundreds of near-death experiences and reaching back, in fact, as far as a hundred years ago, more than a hundred years ago, uh, to review and to document and to write about the experiences that individuals had, uh, near-death experiences. And what he was trying to do, uh, I think, were a couple things. One, certainly reflect the experiences that those individuals went through uh, to correlate them to one another so that he could find the consistency in individual experiences, even those that may have been uh, separated by as many as 100 years. And the benefit of that, of course, is um, it's clear that those individuals would not have known each other. Some of these findings were fairly obscure, in other words, very difficult to find, and so it's not likely uh, that someone who experienced them, say, in the 1970s, was familiar with a documented event that may have occurred in the 1920s, Uh, And so where there was, and there was a great deal of consistency among these experiences, the things that happened to the individuals, um, Burke's contention, uh, uh, John Burke's contention, is um, it validates these near-death experiences. The third thing he did um, is he tied it very uh, uh, directly to uh, the medical profession so that um, physicians, uh, many of whom are reflected in here, by the way, their individual experiences in emergency rooms, in hospital operating rooms, um, sharing what they saw, what they witnessed, what they heard, what they may have experienced, whether it was a change in temperature, a reflection of light, um, the, the expression on the face of a person who may be dying before they came back to life, the miraculous uh, cure uh, for many of these people, of course, it's near-death experience. So all of the individuals written about here at some point came back to life, uh, many of them under miraculous circumstances. And I found this book both very interesting um, and also quite encouraging. Now, um, I will say, you know, it doesn't have a, a Catholic imprimatur, and it's not uh, necessarily sanctioned by the Church, um, but the consistency and the validity of the Uh, experiences that he relates. And again, I would say not limited to any one country. Many of these are in the United States, some in India, some in Asia, some in um, uh, South America. So they're really all over the world. Um, And I think he did that, John Burke did that, again, to bring uh, consistency and validity to um, the, um, the, the things that he wanted to write about to demonstrate that they happened over a long period of time across broad geographies to a multiple 
group of people, and and by the way, different religious traditions. These are not all Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, they have different religious traditions, which I thought was also important. And yet, nonetheless, the consistency in the experiences they had. It will give you a lot of uh, material on what heaven might be like, and I say might be like, because it was only what those individuals themselves experienced, what not meant to be indicative of what we will experience. Uh, But I found it very encouraging, very uplifting. I recommended it um, to a person, as I may have mentioned earlier, uh, whose mother is passing away or soon to pass away. Um, as a as a way of sort of lifting her out of um, no doubt the darkness and the difficulty she's having in the midst of that transition. So imagine heaven, uh, John Burke. I, I do encourage uh, folks to read it. And I think Raymond Moody is the one who started that whole studying of right. near death experiences. And there have been many many books by neurologists, by um, near death experiences of children from all over the world. Um, so. For me, I have several books on that topic, too, and I find it um, – somebody asked me, why Why do I like reading those? And I said, it helps validate God, and it gives me an insight to God's love and how great things can be and will be once we get to heaven. It, it reminds us that we live in an eternal perspective, not limited to the circumstances and the events that we experience, albeit we do experience, and we see every day in our lives – uh, we're not limited to that. We live in an eternal time frame, and these experiences from near-death experiences help to remind us of that. Say say another couple words about divine intimacy before you close us out in prayer, though, Francis. I know your enthusiasm for this, and I have both the four-volume right. as well as the single-volume that you have in front of you. They are different. Right. You, you taught me that. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and I like them both, to be honest with you. Um, well, they cover <laughs> a lot of the same, but the, the one-volume uh, that's the leather-bound, the famous one, it's um, Meditations on the Interior Life for Every Day of the Liturgical Year, and it's based on the old calendar. Um, The four volume um, is based on a current uh, calendar. So and so there are uh, segments that are added. But and this is linked on our website, right? People can go and find the old calendar for the writings in this text. Well, on the Carmelite um, on our um, Dayton Carmelites, I think DaytonCarmelites dot com. um, I think it's on that one. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's on our It's on Carmelite Conversations. That's where I get it, yeah. Okay, okay, glad (laughs) you got it. You put it up there. (laughs) Okay, I can't remember. But anyway, yes, wonderful reflections, just two or three pages. Starts with a little uh, uh, two or three line uh, quote to help focus uh, your attention. And then it gives a meditation, uh, usually two short sections, and then it ends with a prayer using the words of many of our saints and blesseds. And very jam-packed. I oh, I just go to this so many times. And, of course, there's a wonderful index in the back. So if you want to look up for something on uh, virtues or wisdom, you know, just look under that word, and there it'll turn you back to those pages where it's spoken of. But Father Gabriel did a magnificent job of putting this together. Well, uh, uh, I I, this is a go-to book for every Carmelite. I, if you don't have this or you know a Carmelite and they don't have this, this would be a great gift. Highly recommended. So now we go to our closing prayer. Um, this is, again, by St. Thomas Aquinas. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Creator of all things, true source of light and wisdom, Origin of all being, graciously let a ray of your light penetrate the darkness of my understanding. 
Take from me the double darkness in which I have been born, an obscurity of sin and ignorance. Give me a keen understanding, a retentive memory, and the ability to grasp grasp things correctly and fundamentally. Grant me the talent of being exact in my explanations and the ability to express myself with thoroughness and charm. Point out the beginning, direct the progress, and help in the completion. I ask this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, a reminder, you've been listening to Carmelite Spirituality Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Until we're with you again next week, God bless. 